Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. And uh, this afternoon or this morning, we, we continue to find ourselves uh, in the middle of a perfect storm. We, we find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, in this pandemic, there is disease. Um, there are a million people uh, in the United States alone that um, have been uh, confirmed cases of, of having this virus. And, um, and then in the middle of this pandemic, there is death. There's been about uh, 60,000 deaths in the United States alone just related to uh, this coronavirus. And so also in this pandemic is the reality of the economic downturn that we find ourselves in. And uh, because of the lockdown, uh, millions of Americans have lost their jobs just since, just since this past February. And so if disease and death and an economic downturn are not enough, there is just the reality of the uncertainty for the future. And so this past week, we uh, as a church staff spent um, some time this past week, and we're gonna spend some time this upcoming week uh, trying to plan out the church calendar, trying to plan out for the future. And so that's very difficult in this environment because there's not a single day on the calendar that we can point to and say definitively, we know that on this date, everything's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be back to normal. And so we just don't know uh, the reality of how long this pandemic is gonna last. Is it gonna last two months? Is it gonna last six months? Is it gonna last a year? And I think if, if we could just really be real uh, this morning with one another, I think the reality is, is that most all of us have had a panic moment in the midst of this pandemic. We've, we've all had moments of panic where we've experienced overwhelming fear or overwhelming anxiety or just frustration at the disruption that this pandemic has caused in all of our lives. And so if you're a small business owner, I would bet that you've had a panic moment or two as you've seen your business just basically disappear. If you're a school teacher, you've probably had a panic moment or two as you've had to relearn uh, a whole new way of teaching. Uh, if you are um, a high school or college graduate uh, this year, if you're a high school or college senior, uh, you've probably had a panic moment or two as you think about how the pandemic has, has really disrupted uh, so many years of preparation uh, for the opportunity to be able to graduate and really be able to, to walk across that line and, and accomplish uh, something really big. If you are a frontline worker, you've probably had a panic moment or two as you've really faced the reality of, of really potentially contracting this virus for yourself. I think, I think anybody who's read the headlines, anybody who's watched the news for my five minutes, has probably had uh, a panic moment or two. And I think we've all had those moments over the past several weeks. And I think the reality is, is this, that we're humans. And I think panic moments are a part of what it means to be a human being living in a fallen world. And I think the good news of the gospel is this, that, that God loves us even in these panic moments. And the good news of the gospel is this, that God not only loves us in these panic moments, but God is with us in this pandemic moment that we're in. 
And I think that's really good news. And I think that is a truth that we want to come back to time and time and time again as we navigate an uncertain future. And so we are in a series right now in Romans chapter 8 that we're calling Free at Last. And I shared with you, I think this is one of the greatest chapters, uh, if not the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. And I think the reason why is because it gives us a foundation of our confidence and a foundation of assurance that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of what is going on in the world today. In other words, what Romans 8 really is, is the foundation for the life of a Christian. It's a foundation that can't be changed. It can't be canceled. It can't be postponed. It can't be quarantined. Uh, it can't be outlawed. It is the glorious foundation for every, every son and daughter of God. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul unpacks in Romans chapter 8. So what I want us to do today is I want us to look at a, at a section of Romans 8 that is just really glorious, that really points us to the future that we have and uh, really gives us insight into this future. So what I want us to do is read verses 18 through 30 from Romans chapter 8. Hear the word of God this morning. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan eagerly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What an amazing, what an amazing passage of scripture. I think, I think what we have in this passage, it's so full of really God's truth. I think there's so many things here, but I really want us to just focus and, and really simplify it down to four reasons why we, why we need not panic in a pandemic. Four reasons why we need not panic in a pandemic. And I think the first reason is this. Reason number one, God has a glorious future for us. God has a glorious future for us. Reason number two, 
God is interceding for us. In other words, the Spirit is interceding for us. Reason number three, God is in control. He's sovereign, he's in control. And reason number four, God loves us. His love is with us, all right? So let's, let's begin by looking at the first reason why we need not panic in a pandemic, and that is that God has a glorious future for us. This is exactly what he says in verse 18. Look, look with me again at, at Romans 8, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, for I consider. Now in the King James Version, the translators tra translated that reckon, for I reckon. So I guess you could say that that's um, the translation for Southerners, for I reckon. In other words, uh, I, I, I added up, I've run the numbers, I've, I've tallied the score, and what he says is this, I've, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. What he's saying is this, he's saying that, that the future that God has for us is so grand it's so great, it is so magnificent that God's future for us trumps the present circumstances and present difficulties and adversities that we're going through right now. That's an amazing statement that he's alluding to. He is talking about, church, our future, our glorious future. Now, I think the question that we have as we look at verse 18 is this, how does he know that? How can he say that with so much certainty? And I think the answer is pretty simple. The reason why he can say it with so much certainty is because he is seeing for himself our glorious future. Let me show you a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians. This is from chapter 12. It's verses one through five. Just, just look at what he says here. He says, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now he's talking about himself. So this man was caught up to the third heaven, where they're in their body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, he says, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter, he says. Now, I want you to just think about what he's saying in this passage. I mean, you, you kind of wish he would just unpack a little bit more of it. You, you kind of wish he would just explain a little bit more of what he saw. But basically what he says is that he, he has received visions from God, revelations of God, of the glorious future that God has in store for us. He has, he has heard things, he has seen things that cannot be articulated. Now, we don't know if God has restricted him from articulating those things or that those things are so glorious and so amazing that they're just indescribable. But either way, either, either reason is in play here. But basically what he's saying is this, that God's future for us is so great and so amazing that we can't even begin to describe and put our minds around it. And I think the reason why we need not panic in a pandemic is because of the hope for the future that God has for us, the hope that he alludes to right here in Romans 8. You see, there, th there are three very specific parts of God's glorious future for his sons and daughters. And the first part that I would say is this, that God is going to remake creation. 
The Bible tells us that God is going to take fire to the earth and he's going to refine it with fire. And so a refiner's fire purifies. It, it burns off impurities. And that is exactly the picture that the Bible paints of what God is going to do when he creates the new heaven and the new earth. Part of the picture that the Bible points to of this, of this new earth is this reality that one day the deserts are going to bloom with roses, that one day the mountaintops are going to produce sweet wine, that one day the wolf and the lamb are going to lie down together, that one day, one day the lion is going to graze on the grass just like the oxen do. And what he's specifically referring to is this, that there's going to be a day when creation is completely renewed and completely remade. And the Bible also points us to this picture of the sons and daughters of God reigning with Jesus for all of eternity. Now, practically or tangibly, I don't know exactly what that means. I think it might mean that some of you, many of you will be presidents and mayors and governors. And if that's the case, I'm definitely going to vote for you. But what, what it does point to is the glorious future that God is planning for us. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is our present sufferings, our present adversities are nothing compared to the glory that God has for us. But there's a second part of this, of this future that God has, and that is that he is going to give us resurrected bodies. Now, I mentioned this a, a few weeks ago, and some of you will follow this and, and, and some of you won't because you're really still in denial about this. But, but let me just kind of say it this way. If you're 28 years old or older, then you either have plateaued or you are in the firm descent. You, you, if you're 28 years older or, or, old, or older, you're, you've either plateaued or you're in steady descent. You, you follow what I'm saying with that? Do you know what I mean? Have you ever... Have you ever hurt yourself sleeping? You know what I'm talking about when you wake up in the morning and your knee is hurting and your back is hurting and your head is hurting and your, your ankle is hurting and there's some body part on you that's hurting? You see, the reality is, is that didn't happen when you were 17 years old. But now that you're 28 years or older, it's, it's happening with amazing frequency. And I think the entire point of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is, is there's going to be a day when our bodies fail us, when, when our eyes grow dim and our grinders cease to grind, our teeth cease to grind and our desires fail us. There's going to be that day. And I believe wholeheartedly that scripture points to the fact that we need to take care of our bodies. We need to steward our bodies with, with exercise and, and eating right. There's no question about that. But make no mistake, the reality is we are all in the fast lane of perishing. And that's the reality that we all face. And so we're going to get glorified bodies. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 points us to. That we're going to receive resurrected, uh, imperishable, glorified bodies. These glorified bodies will never get sick. They will never get tired and they will never die. That's part of the glorious future that God has for us. But there's a, there's a third part of this glorious future and it's the best part of all. And it's this, that we get God himself. We, we inherit God himself. Now I want you to think about this church. 
When I talk about that we get God himself, this is, this, is, this is what I mean, that we get unfettered, unbroken, unlimited access to the creator of the universe, to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We get the fulfillment of the deepest desires of our heart, a perfect relationship with God for all of eternity. Now, I want you to consider that because I believe the deepest longing of our heart is to be known and loved by God, to know him and to love him and to be known and to be loved by him. I think that's the deepest desire of our heart. And that deepest desire will be met for all of eternity. What a glorious truth that is. What a glorious future that that points to. And that's why as your pastor, I want to challenge you to think about your desires to think about the yearnings of your life. And, and it's, it's my thought that, that these desires that we have in this world are absolutely infinite. They're infinite desires. And the reason why I believe that they're infinite is because there's nothing in this world that can fulfill them. You see, we have these finite desires and, and we're told that you know, having more money will satisfy us and it never does. And we're told that having more stuff will satisfy us, and it never does. We're told that having more pleasure or more fun will satisfy us, and it never does. We're told that if we can just achieve more and accomplish more, that that will satisfy us, and it never does. We're told that if I can have the approval of all the people in my life, that that will satisfy us, and it never does. And see, my theory is this, that if you have... Uh, these desires, these, these infinite desires that, that can't be satisfied by anything in a finite world, then that means that our ultimate desire, what we ultimate, ultimately yearn for, is an infinite God. And part of the glorious future that God has for us is we receive the fulfillment, the satisfaction of that infinite desire an infinite relationship with our Lord and our King. And so all of this points to the glorious future that God has for us, that, that it's so glorious that these present troubles, these present difficulties, these present adversities and sufferings really aren't even worth comparing to it. And so God has a glorious future for you in mind. But there's a, there's a second reason why we need not we need not panic in a pandemic. And that is this, that God is interceding for us. Specifically, the spirit of God is interceding for us. And you see that what he says about this in verse 26, the apostle Paul says this, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, how weak are we? I think that's, that's the question. So we have we have the Spirit of God helping us in our weakness. So how weak are we? Well, he tells us, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But he says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, what he's talking about is this. He's talking about that the Spirit of God prays for us. That, 
that when you think about what prayer is, prayer very simply is calling out to God for help. So we experience these moments of panic, these panic moments. And we, we're so panicked by the circumstances in our life that we don't even know what to pray for. We don't even know how to pray. We don't even know the will of God. And so what he's talking about here is he's alluding to the fact that our, our prayers are oftentimes limited. They are insufficient. Many times our prayers are, are ignorant of the will of God. But even in that circumstance, we have confidence and assurance because we know the spirit is interceding for us. And the spirit knows the will of God, even though we don't. And the spirit prays even more deeply than we can pray on our behalf. Now, that's an amazing truth. That's an amazing reality that he's pointing us to. So the reason why we why we need not fear in a pandemic is because we know the spirit of God is interceding for us. So practically what that means is this, that we have the we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor praying for us and interceding for us. So it could be today that, you know, your kids are a mess. The Spirit of God is with you and the Spirit of God is interceding for you. It could be today that your marriage is a mess. The Spirit of God is with you and the Spirit of God is interceding for you. It could be that your finances or your future are in a mess. The Spirit of God knows the will of God for you and is with you and is praying for you. And so what the Apostle Paul is pointing us to is we need not panic in a pandemic because we know God's glorious future and we know the Spirit is interceding for us. But there's still a third reason why we need not panic. And it's this, and we see it in verse 28, and that is that God is in control that God is sovereign over our lives, that God is sovereign over this entire world, this entire pandemic. Look with me at verse 28, and you see one of the greatest truths in all of scripture. He says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what he's saying there is this, that, that God is in control, and that God is sovereign and he can work all things together for good. But that's not the end of the story. And so many times we read verse 28 and we never go to verse 29 to find out the purpose for the good that he's working. Notice what he says in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what he's talking about there is that God in his sovereign power, God in his sovereignty wants to make his sons and daughters look like Jesus Christ. That that is, that is the working of God in this world, that he is transforming us into the very image of Jesus. That is God's purpose for you and that is God's purpose for me. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 28, that the good that God is working is not necessarily God working for better circumstances for us, but really what he's pointing to is God is working for a better you, that he wants to refine your character and mine so that it looks like his son, Jesus, that it reflects the image of God, which is what we were created for. Now, let me, let me clarify some things on this. When, when, the Apostle Paul says that 
uh, all things work together for good, this doesn't mean that all things are good. He's not saying that all things are good. Obviously, divorce is not good. A pandemic is not good. Struggling with infertility is not good. Cancer is not good. What the Apostle Paul is saying is in the sovereignty of God that he can use those things for good. It also doesn't mean that God causes all things. What we know from Scripture is there's some things that Satan causes. There's some things that living in a fallen world causes. There's some things that my own selfish choices cause. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that God is so amazing. He's so great in his power that he can take even those things and use them for good in our lives. And then lastly, it doesn't mean that all things work naturally for our good. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, that everything that happens in our life naturally works out for good. That's a Disney movie. That's not, that's not reality. What, what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is that, that there's a qualification to this. He's saying that God works all things together for good if you love him and you're called according to his purpose. See, I think the reality is if you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, then all things don't work together for good. They work together for bad. So the reason why you and I need not panic in a pandemic is because we know that there are going to be times in our life that, that are difficult, that are hard. But if we submit to God in faith, we will see the outworking of what he has done in us of how he's growing us and changing us and deepening our reliance on him. In other words, an, another way of saying it would be this, that God is not gonna shield us from trouble if trouble is the very thing we need to find our life in him. He's just not gonna do it. He's not gonna shield us from trouble if trouble is the one thing we need to find our life in him. Alexander Solzhenitsyn became the leading voice in the world against the horrors of Soviet communism. And so the problem was he, he had to spend eight years in solitary confinement in prison in Siberia because he told the truth about Joseph Stalin. And when he got out of prison after eight years, they asked him about his prison experience. And his response to that question was this, bless you prison, bless you prison, bless you prison for what you've taught me. You see what Alexander Solzhenitsyn was saying is this, that what man meant for evil, God used for good in his life. That God took eight years of prison and used it for good. That he would never wanna go back through that experience again. But that experience God used in his life for his redemptive purposes. And that's exactly what God wants to do in your life and in mine. Let me give you one more reason why we need not panic in a pandemic. And it's this one. And it's the fact that God loves us. God loves us. Look with me in verse 29 again. And you, you really begin to pick up on this. Uh, right, in, right in verse 29, he says this, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, 
What he's talking about here, when you look at that word foreknew, it, it not only means to know beforehand, but it also means to set your affection on, to set your love on. And so in the Bible, when it says that God knew Eve, it's not talking about the fact that God met Eve or that, that Adam knew Eve. It's not talking about the fact that Adam met Eve on a, at a Saturday night mixer and had a one night stand with her. He's not, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when, when it says that God knew Eve or that Adam knew Eve, that Adam loved Eve, that he set his affection on her. And I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is that God has set his love on his sons and daughters, that God has set his affection on the children of God and that he loves them and that his ultimate purpose is to bring them into the conformity of his nature, to shape them into his image, like we've already mentioned. And so you ask, well, to what end? Well, he tells us that end in verse 30, he says this, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so, and so really he's, he's, talking about, he's talking about the work of God in salvation. And he speaks of it in the past tense. But what's interesting is he's pointing us to the future. He's talking about the work of God in salvation that he called, he justified, and then he glorified. And what's interesting is that word glorified really points us to the future that God has for us, the future glory that we've talked about. But what's fascinating about that is he refers to that future event in the past tense. He talks about God, God has called us and justified us and glorified. Why in the world would he refer to something in the future in the past tense? What's his purpose behind that? Well, I think the purpose is really simple. He's trying to point us to the fact that God's future for us is so certain, it's like it has already happened. It has already happened. That God is going to finish what he has started. And so you and I, what this practically means is this, that you and I have assurance and confidence, no matter what the world brings to us, no matter what circumstances come our way, we have rock solid confidence, even in the midst of a pandemic, that the good work that God has started in us will be completed. Praise be to God, what, what an incredible truth that he's talking about. That's what he's pointing us to. The fact that what God has started, he is gonna finish in us. See, another way of saying it is this way, that God's love for you existed before the foundation of the world. And God's love for you was displayed on a hill called Calvary 2000 years ago. And one day God's love for you will be consummated at the end of time. That's what he's talking about. And that's what he is referring to. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Scott, that's, that's all grand and good, but I really have a hard time knowing that God loves me. How do I know that God really loves me? And I think the answer is the cross. I think the answer is the cross of Jesus. 
You see, I want you to, I want you to think about this. When you think about kingdoms throughout human history, all kingdoms have, have done all that they can do to protect their king. You see, kingdoms know that they've got to protect their king. And so they have to protect their king at any cost. And so some kingdoms have done it well, some, some kingdoms not so well. But they, the principle is true that a kingdom has to protect its king. If you lose the king, you lose the kingdom. It's the same premise in chess. When you're playing someone in chess, the object of the game is to capture your opponent's king. But you've got to protect your king at all costs. Because if you lose the king, you lose the game. And so any kingdom knows you got to protect the king. Now, there's a, there's a great notable example of this, even in modern history. Uh, when the Allied forces were preparing for uh, the June 6, 1944 invasion at Normandy, uh, as plans were being drawn up, the Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, insisted that he be present at D-Day so that he could observe uh, the Allied forces invading Normandy uh, firsthand. And he wanted to be on the bridge of a battleship in the English Channel, and that was his insistence. Well, General Eisenhower, the leader of the Allied forces, said, absolutely not. There's no way we could do that. He said, there's no way we can, we can uh, ensure your security and you're absolutely necessary for us winning this war effort. So absolutely not. There's no way, Prime Minister Churchill, you're going to be present on the D-Day invasion. Well, Winston Churchill was a pretty stubborn guy and he insisted anyway. So Eisenhower appealed to a higher authority. And what Eisenhower did is he communicated with King George of England. And King George of England communicated with the Prime Minister Churchill himself. And he made this comment to Churchill and he said this, King George did, he said, if it's essential that the Prime Minister be present for the invasion of Normandy, then it's also essential that the King of England be present as well. I'll be right by your side, Mr. Churchill, when all of this starts. Well, at that point, Churchill knew that he had to reluctantly back down because he understood the principle that they had to protect the King at all costs. Now, I want you to think about King Jesus. I want you to think about that King Jesus did the exact opposite. That with his royal courage, he voluntarily laid down his life on the cross. He gave a king's ransom so that, so that his, his kingdom would live. So that he died so that you and I could live. That's what King Jesus did for you and for me. And that is how you know that God loves you. That's how you know. That is ultimately why you need not panic in a pandemic. Now, it could be that you're here today and you're watching this from, you know, from around our church or from somewhere in the country or somewhere around the world. And you're like, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I'm not sure I know King Jesus is Lord and Savior. What do I need to do? Well, the answer is really simple. You see, your sins and mine separated us from God. And God sent his son Jesus to bridge that, that chasm, that gap. And so you and I must, 
must believe that Jesus died in our place, confess our sins and repent of those sins and then commit our lives to him. And the Bible says to all who received him in this way, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so that's all you need to do. And so if you're not a Christian today, I invite you just to pray this prayer with me. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that out of royal courage, you laid down your life so that we could live. I confess to you that I have sinned and I've fallen short of your glorious standard. I repent of that sin and I commit my life to you. Put your Holy Spirit in me that I could know the glorious future that you have, that I could know that you pray for me, you intercede for me, that I could know that you work all things together for good, that you are sovereign, and that I could know your love for me. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.